We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
You empower us by your spirit. We thank you, Lord. We praise you today. Lord, we give all of our being to you. Everything that we are, we give to you. As you are our creator. You're the beginning. You are our end, Lord. And we thank you for that. You're the author of our faith. You're the perfecter of our faith, Lord. We thank you for that. As people who live by faith, live in you. We live by you. We live for, live for you. We praise you today, Jesus. We're a gathering of believers who call on your name. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done. Lord, we, we cannot repay you but to give ourselves to you, to follow you. Once again today, receive us as, as your own. You have marked us, you have sealed us with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for that. We thank you for that. You have set us apart. And I pray that we live in that way. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you're so wonderful. You're so wonderful. He's so good, isn't he? Isn't God good? How many of y'all testified that God is good? Amen. All right. Well, 
How about this for the next couple of moments? Build up somebody. Encourage somebody this morning. If, if you're new, in a way, introduce yourself, but it's good to have you today. Greet the family of faith just for a couple of moments. Well, good morning. It's good to have you this morning. Live streamers, by the way, wherever you're watching from, if you're on uh, Facebook or YouTube, uh, we're glad you're with us. I will say something for live streamers. Uh, we do know that my mic isn't coming through the best on there. We hope to fix that in the near future. So please bear with us if it's not the best this morning. We'll get there. Uh, but it's good to have you with us. And uh, good to see you this morning. How many of y'all are doing good? How many of y'all are doing so-so? Well, I'm not even going to ask the third one, all right? But regardless, regardless where you're at, it's good to be here in church this morning. Amen? Amen. One of the best places you can go when it's so-so or worse is come to church. Sometimes we get so-so or worse, and then we stay home because we're not wanting to deal with people or be around people. That's the worst thing you can do. The enemy wants to cut you off from encouragement in your life. The best thing you can do when you don't feel like it is go to church. And not that, not that I'm your end all or the church is your end all, but we are part of the encouragement of God in your life. Amen? All right. So I'd throw that out. Anyways, tithe and offering. Let's do that. So if you have something to give this morning in the chairs in front of you is an offering envelope. If you sit in the front row, you don't see one, wave your hand around and mic or somebody will help you out. Also, Al has uh, some prayer request cards. Uh, if you have a prayer request, please fill it out. You can give it to me or throw it in, uh, whatever you call that right there, and we'll pray over those. I know we got a praise report from our 21 days of prayer in there. We'll talk about that Wednesday. So, but anyways, we, we appreciate your giving and your faithfulness uh, to the house of God with your increase. And uh, we know that the blessings of the Lord are upon us and in front of us, amen? All right, so let me pray over your giving this morning. If you have something, you can bring it. Lord, we, we, 
We worship you today in our giving. And we worship you because you are the God who provides. It's one of the wonders of your faithfulness, that you're the God that goes before us in provision. From the time of creation, provision's in front of us, Lord. And we thank you for that, that you're the God that never leaves us nor forsakes us in so many different ways. That includes your faithfulness. And Lord, as we give today, we're just living by faith in our trust in who you are in those kind of things. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. amen. Bring it if you have it. I do have a couple of announcements for you. This coming Wednesday, um, Mark Dunphy is with us. If you're not familiar with Mark Dunphy, um, he, uh, he's a friend of, of our church. I know he spoke here probably three or four or five times in the past. And he's going to be here this Wednesday. I'm looking forward to it. Mark's a great guy. Uh, been in ministry so so many different years. As a matter of fact, uh, at one point, the Lord put it on his heart. And, and he has actually turned it over his son at this point. But they run an incredible homeless shelter up in the New York area. So many guys bringing it off the street. And, and prepping them to get out in life and, and uh, prepping them to have jobs and all this different stuff. Such a great work. What I, what I love about people uh, that say they're committed to Jesus, what I really love about people that say they're committed to Jesus are the ones that got their hands dirty. They got calluses on their hands because they got their hands to the plow in some way. I mean, what I'm talking about. And, and Mark's one of those guys. So uh, he'll be with us Wednesday night. So I encourage you to be here for that. Uh, don't forget, uh, small groups kick off uh, again this month, our semester of small groups. So if you have questions about that, you can see me. We'll get you hooked up with somebody. Also, February 17th, Friday night, is our Love Your Marriage uh, get-together. So that's from 6 to 9 p.m. We'll provide some food, child care, and it's a night of strengthening our marriages together. There's going to be three sessions. Uh, we'll talk about some different things. I know Margo and I have a session in called, the sh called The Shared Life and uh, what it means not only to be, you know, people can be married but end up glorified roommates. I mean, what I'm talking about. Marriage is a shared life. That's what we're going to be talking about. So anyway, so it's going to be a good night. So if you're interested in that, sign up at the back for that. That way we know how much food to pr provide and, and all that kind of, of business. And so having said that, I think that's all I have. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy and chapter number 6, we're still in our series entitled Pursue. Um, the pursuit of something simply means that you're going after something in order to catch it, to have it, to obtain it. Uh, the one thing that the scriptures do is, and it, and it says it in a lot of different ways. Paul literally uses the word pursue in both First and Second Timothy. That we are to be after things, chasing things in our lives that are kingdom of God things. You know, when, when Jesus makes a comment like, uh, don't store up treasure on earth where, where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. Rather, store up treasure in heaven. He is reorienting what you're to be pursuing in life. He's changing it, right? In that same discourse when he says, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other stuff that everybody else chases after will be added unto you. He's reorienting the priority of pursuit in your life. Seek the kingdom of God first. Now, in First and Second Timothy, um, certainly Paul writing to his uh, protege Timothy, who uh, was left 
in charge in the Ephesian church. And Paul writes two different letters to him. Both uh, are to encourage him, to give him instruction. In the midst of what he's saying to him, in both the letters, he uh, says that we're to flee things, flee certain things, and then instead of pursuing the things we should flee, we should actually now pursue different things that are more in line with what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And Paul, he's a list maker. He, when, he, when he starts to write, he condenses a lot in a short amount of space. And he lists pursue, and then he lists a bunch of stuff, both in First and Second Timothy. So we've been kind of bouncing back and forth between these two different passages, um, 1 Timothy 6 and, and 2 Timothy chapter 2. So what I'm going to do today is I'm gonna, we're going to read both of them, and I'm going to pick one from each and kind of put them together because to me they sort of go together, okay? So 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 11. It says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. If you want to know what he's talking about, just read what comes before it. We talked about that uh, a few weeks ago. But now in fleeing these things, now pursue this stuff. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And that, that's our subject today, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Okay, now 2 Timothy chapter 2. And go to verse 22. And here's the same sort of wording here. It says, so flee, again, something to flee, youthful passions, and pursue. Again, now here's another list. Many of them cross over to what he says in 1 Timothy. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. That's the second one of our, we're going to talk about today. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels and so forth. So remember, we said this the first time we talked about this. It's not just enough to flee things, we must also learn to pursue. Because when you learn to pursue and not just stop, things will grow in your life in the place of things that shouldn't be there, if that makes sense. So in other words, when you learn to flee sin in your life, that's good. But if there's not a growth of kingdom things in your life in its place, you'll return to your sin. In other words, there's actual life change happening in you. That's the kingdom of God. And it's a work, and I love, I love the, the pursue that Paul uses in both these. It, behind it is a connotation. It's, it's ongoing, never-ending. We never stop pursuing these things. This is the life of being a disciple. We pursue kingdom things all the days of our life. In other words, there's never a place when you get to a certain step of your journey with Jesus, you go, I made it. I don't have to do anymore. I can kick a chair here, do it a campfire, and just hang out until he comes back again. No, we're always in the processes of life with him. So these things that Paul lists here in both First and Second Timothy uh, the things we're to pursue, these are lifelong endeavors to pursue becoming what these are and then in turn how it changes your life. 
So I want to talk today about pursuing gentleness and peace. Now, what I do know, especially with gentleness, you don't hear many sermons about something like gentleness. As we know, the fruit of the Spirit, Paul writes in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are things that life empowered by the Spirit will begin to be produced in you as you live new creation, okay? But you don't hear too much about gentleness. And, and we hear about peace, but sometimes in only a certain context. So gentleness, I think the best way uh, to maybe give a definition to gentleness, gentleness is the opposite of harsh. When, when you handle something in a gentle way, you're handling it with proper care, not harsh, not, not in a way that is not becoming of somebody who says they believe in God or a life that has been transformed by God. So gentleness is the opposite of harsh. And, and, and peace, I, I want to put a, a definition on peace, and there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different contexts of the word peace we find in the scriptures, but let me put it in this context. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. And verse number 17. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 17. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible. So as far as it depends upon you, now think about that. As far as it depends upon you, Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now we can think about peace. Well, Jesus as the Prince of Peace, he establishes peace between God and man through our salvation. But once we are people that have an established peace with God because of our salvation, what does it mean then to live peaceably in this world? Well, Paul puts a context to it right there. In one way, as far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with other people. That's a big thing. And you don't hear a lot of sermons preached on that either. Here's what happens. Whenever we talk about something like peace or, or gentleness, uh, you hear a lot of something like, yeah, I see the Bible says that, but what about this situation? And now we have hypotheticals. Well, maybe something actually happened in your life. And we like to find reasons why this really doesn't apply to everything in my life. We say we're people of the scriptures, but when it comes down to it, sometimes we're like, well, let me, let, me, let me work with this one a little bit. Do I really have to be gentle in how I handle situations, life, and specifically other people? Do I really have to be gentle? Do I really have to do what's necessary on my part to live peaceably with other people when they're not gentle and they're not living peaceably with me? 
how many know what I'm talking about? See, remember, we are not shaped by society. The Bible says that we're no, to be no longer conformed to the pattern of the world. As I have this sort of on a slide, uh, I think Christian's back there. Christian, throw up that first slide. Gentleness and peace are in contrast with a harsh and angry world. Yet, as believers, as Christians, we are called to pursue and exhibit them. You see that? How many know that our world is angry? Very angry. How many know our world is rather harsh? But yet we're not to be shaped by an angry and harsh world. We're to be shaped by the empowerment of the Spirit and what the Spirit should be producing in the lives of those who say they follow him. We are called to exhibit things like gentleness and peace in our society, even though our society is not that way. Now, here, here's what I think sometimes we think, or I, I've heard this actually. We kind of think Paul writes this stuff in a, in a vacuum. In other words, if Paul could live in our world today, he wouldn't write this stuff. He would never said that. As if Paul lives in a vacuum of some sort of like, like he's always hanging out in a meadow somewhere where there's flowers and nice trees and the sun is shining brightly and he just feels the presence of God all the time and there's no troubles in the world. So he writes, then be gentle with others and live peaceably. Paul did not live in a vacuum like that. As a matter of fact, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. Let's just give a little snapshot of the life of Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. Kind of picking up mid-thought here from Paul, but he goes, are they the servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. In other words, he's defending himself a little bit to the church in Corinth. Watch this. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, and he's talking about himself here, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of, of my anxiety for all the churches who is weak, and am I not weak? Who is made to fall, and am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of, our Lord, of the Lord Jesus, he was blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. And here's another example. At Damascus, the governor under King Eretus guarded the city of Damascus in order to seize me. 
but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. My goodness. Now, here's the thing about First and Second Timothy. Both First and Second Timothy were written near the end of Paul's life. Uh, Paul was, as tradition says, he was beheaded uh, around 68 A.D. Second Timothy was written somewhere between 67 and 68 A.D., right before his martyrdom. Uh, First Timothy was written maybe 63 A.D., somewhere in there. So both of these letters were written near the end of his life. So in other words, all of the things that Paul wrote that he went through right there, he had gone through before he wrote First and Second Timothy. As a matter of fact, hey, Christian, throw up that graphic of, of the picture. This is the... Traditionally, this is where Paul was imprisoned in Rome. It was a dungeon. You can't see, but there's a hole in the ceiling. They were let down through a hole in the ceiling. This is where Paul was when he wrote 2 Timothy. He wrote it from a dungeon, a jail, soon after he was beheaded. Now, you want to tell me that Paul wrote things like gentleness and living peaceably with others because he was in vacuum and didn't experience life. False. Paul went through all those things that he went through. And by the way, think about this. The reason Paul went through all that stuff is because he was answering the call of the ministry of evangelism in his life. You see that? The reason he went through everything he did because he was smack dab right in the middle of God's calling. Think about that for a second. The beatings and the shipwrecks, the, the times he was arrested, all the way up to when he was beheaded was because he answered the call of Jesus in his life. Paul did not live in a vacuum. He experienced real life to the point that his belief in Jesus caused persecution to happen. But yet, at the end of his life, he's writing things like pursue gentleness, pursue peace, what it means to live peaceably is, as it depends upon you with other people. You see that? I think that often we become jaded by our experiences of life. Things that have happened, things that, that people have done to us. We, we have a tendency to become jaded. We have a tendency to become cynical. So when we hear things like pursue gentleness, we go, okay, that, that's a nice thing. But to really live in my world today, if I treat people gently, I'm going to get run over. Right? We get jaded by our experiences, but yet Paul, through everything that he went through, somehow, and only probably by the empowerment of the Spirit, by the leading and the growth of God in his life, didn't become jaded. He didn't become cynical. As a matter of fact, he still had hope for people because of the gospel. And that never changed. Even through all the stuff that he went through. I don't know about you. You, th you think about yourself. They beat you, stone you, throw you in jail. Even in the last days of your life, when Paul's at this place, he knows he's at the end. Would you still be encouraging people to be gentle, pursue peace? Or would you be like, yeah, I'm, I'm done with all that. Let's repay wrong for wrong. Let's give them back what they gave. Let's, the, the work of the Spirit 
says there is a different way to live in this world. Even if the world is that way. This is one of the high callings of the faith. There's something we've been saying a little bit during this series. The mark of a mature Christian, we make a statement. With today, the mark of a mature Christian is to see that gentleness and peace and things like that we see in the scriptures, like the fruit of the Spirit. One of the reasons they grow in you is to give you a different perspective on what has happened in your life. It doesn't minimize what happened. And Paul, when he made the list in, in the Corinthians about all the things he'd been through, he, he didn't minimize any of that. He said, I was beat, I was shipwrecked, they stoned me. They were, he didn't minimize it. But yet his growth in gentleness and growth in the outlook of peace changed his perspective on those things. That he would not allow those things to make him into something that God did not intend him to be. Because when you get to that place, when life jades you and it makes you cynical and it just, it just makes you kind of angry, you will never be a person of gentleness. Never. You'll have an ideal of living peaceably with people until they wrong you. Then our idea is out the window. Part of the growth of these things in your life is part of the healing of your life. You understand that? So it's not about you having to be some way, but it's about you becoming something. And that helps deal with your past. So in your life, if you have been treated in a way that has not been gentle, if you have relationship, authority figures, family members that treated you harsh and it marked you, just know that the growth of gentleness in your life will help heal that. It's not just about being gentle, but it's about what happens in you so you can be gentle. Isn't that right? See, you ever hear that phrase, hurt people, hurt people? That's true. But what the Holy Spirit can do is take hurt people and do some things in them so they don't hurt people. And, and listen, I understand you've been through some stuff, not minimizing any of that by, by any means. But one of the works of the grace of God is dealing with our past. It doesn't erase it. You ever see the movie Men in Black? Let me see it. And they have that little thing, and they make you forget everything. You, it, it, that doesn't happen. You don't forget. But there's something in you that happens. It changes you. It starts to deal with hurt, deal with pains, deal with things that you've been carrying with you that are absolutely legitimate. But the scriptures call us to something higher. Says so you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay in that. You don't forget it. The scars, you may always carry a scar, but we can change this in a way that what you do is not what you received. That is only by the work of God, by the way. Only God can do that. So it's important because, Christian, throw the second slide up. As we're saying, we're not to be shaped by the world. But we are to live as his witness by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So why do I say something about witness? Because, listen, and I know you got to make the connections here. Gentleness, living peaceably with other people, it is directly connected to your witness. 
All of these kind of things we see in Scripture, they, they go hand in hand. They go together. You can't separate them out. Listen, you can proclaim a truth but go about it entirely in the wrong way. Do you know that? You can know the Bible frontward and backward. You, you can be a theologian in your own right, but you can still take that truth and do something wrong with it. Isn't that right? The Scriptures teach us there's a change that the Holy Spirit is working in us to be aware of it. My witness is affected by things like how do I handle people? Do I handle them with gentleness? Or am I harsh? To tell somebody about Jesus but do it in a harsh way is a contradictory thing. It doesn't go together. See what I'm saying? Growth in you affects your witness. Not to be shaped by the world, but be shaped by the Spirit. Now, as we've been saying, listen, as we've been saying, this takes some thought, some self-reflection. And I think we got to get involved with the Holy Spirit in some self-reflection in our life. I used to call them mirror experiences. That you look in the mirror and you're honest about what's there. Not to beat yourself down or bring condemnation. Be honest. And the Holy Spirit can help you there. So you can be honest with yourself and say, am I gentle in the way that I interact with other people? Or am I harsh? That's not hard. You think about yourself that way. My, my grandfather, my, both of my grandparents, and my dad too, but they were great examples for me, both, both Christian men. My grandfather on my mom's side, this is something I can say, honest truth, I never, ever, except one time, heard him raise his voice in anger at somebody. Never. The only time I ever heard it, I was at their house, and across the road was a field that had just been planted with corn. And here's some dude with a dirt bike burning down through, and he just ran out by the road yelling to get out of the field. The only time I ever heard him raise his voice, ever. He is my example, earthly, that I see of what it means to be gentle. It was, was he a pushover? No. Hard worker, made an impact in this world. I mean, he was a great man, but he was gentle. He didn't deal with people in a harsh, mean way. He carried himself in a, in a way that I felt was reflective of what the fruit of the Spirit are about. I always look to that. And I, I remember, I'll never forget, it's kind of funny, maybe, maybe not from my son Ryan, but I remember my son Ryan was a toddler, and the very first time I ever yelled at him, and I, it was anger. And I'll never forget later, I thought, I've already failed. I wanted to be like my grandpa. I blew it. And my kid's two years old. What in the world? Felt like a failure. But thank goodness for the grace of God. Now, does that mean that Christians should be pushovers? No. Does that mean Christians should never express their anger? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we should just brush everything aside and never deal with it? Absolutely not. But how you go about things makes a difference to your witness. Isn't that right? My grandfather, I considered a very strong man. But he didn't have to do it by being harsh with other people. I think, guys, I think, guys, we have to disconnect 
some idea society has about masculinity versus what the Bible says it means to be strong in the Lord. Because they're not the same thing a lot of times. But think about that. And peaceably, to live peaceably with other people. As far as it depends upon me, does that mean everybody's going to treat me peaceably? No. But as far as it depends upon me, I will live peaceably with other people. That's the calling of Scripture. Well, what if they don't treat me peaceably? Well, the Bible says a lot about how we're to treat our enemies. So go find that. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Paul said it right there. Don't repay wrong for wrong. As a matter of fact, if you see somebody who treats you wrong and they need something to eat, get them something to eat. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If they're without clothes, give them something to wear. That does not mirror Jesus in Matthew 25 when he's talking about the judgments of the nations and, and, and he says, this is how you treated me. When you saw somebody in this manner, you helped. When you saw somebody in this manner, you helped. And he, and he lists, gives you some things. That our outlook of life is guided by a God who loves because the God who loves, loves his enemies. It's the only way forgiveness can be offered. Remember we said this last week. The cycle of wrong only ever gets stopped in the world when somebody gives somebody something they don't deserve. Or else vengeance and wrong will just keep going. It's only ever stopped when somebody who's wrong doesn't repay back. And they give them something they maybe don't deserve, and that is forgiveness and the offer of living peaceably and treat them with gentleness. You see, that's a high calling. It's not easy. But here's the thing I know. In everything the Lord is leading us in and calling us to and telling us to pursue, the Holy Spirit is right there with us helping us. Because I don't know about you, I'm generally not gentle. And I'm not peaceable all the time. Is that right? So my wife and I, we avoided a giant argument two days ago. Could have been, but it wasn't. Because we both are, are, are at this stage in our marriage, we're peaceable. So she had uh, therapy for her shoulder at 6. We had to leave the house at 6.15 a.m. on Friday. <laughs> and she asked me to go along so the therapist could show me how to stretch her shoulder so she didn't have to go there every week. So I'm like, sure, I'll go learn. And we had to go to Bell Fountain for it, which is, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes from our house. And you can go 47, which you turn left, or you can turn right and go to 274 and go that way. 47, 274. 6.15 in the morning. I woke up 15 minutes prior. We're leaving the driveway, and I go, I say, which way you want me to go? And she didn't answer, and I went to go left. And she goes, no, go 247. And on mine, I'm thinking, she said, go 247, which is left. But she's telling me, no, 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 the other way. So I'm, I'm like almost out and I'm wheeling, almost going in my neighbor's yard. I'm, I'm wheeling around, I'm driving down, and I'm confused. What are you talking about? And again, remember, it's 6.15 in the morning. And she's sort of looking at me like I'm an idiot. And I can see it. Even though it's dark, I can just see, what are you doing? I told you to go to 247, but you still turn around. How many know what I'm talking about? How many know we fight about the dumbest stuff? But instead of turning into a fight, 
I finally said, I really don't know where you want me to go because I don't know where there's a 247. She goes, it's over here. <laughs> okay, I, just tell me where to go. And it finally dawned on me, she, confused, she got the two mixed up. I said, oh, you meant 274, not four. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> and it was over, we laughed and drove to the appointment. But do you realize how many times that stuff turns into a giant argument over nothing? How many know what I'm talking about? We fight about stupid stuff. But even learning to be gentle and living peaceably with other people shows up in little things right there. It's not just about the neighbors or, or somebody at work that agitates you. It shows up in your marriage. It shows up in how you deal with your kids when they're agitating you and not listening to you. Right? It shows up in the littlest things of life if you'll stop and be reflective. Now, I, if, if I would have got agitated and said whatever was rolling in my mind at first, I would have had to eventually apologize to her after probably a pretty silent ride to the, to the therapist, right? But just living in gentleness. But, but what if she wasn't being, what if she, was, she wasn't, but what if she was being harsh with me? It's still my calling to respond in gentleness. And I think sometimes in close relationships, we throw all that out the window. Well, I know I'm supposed to do this with my neighbor, but my wife, whatever. I've been living with you way too long. I mean, know what I'm talking about. No, no, it guides all of our relationships and how we see other people. Amen? So reflection, gentleness, living at peace with other people. It's a high calling. It shows up in maturity in your life. But I believe with the help of the Holy Spirit that we can be those kind of people. By the way, all, a lot of the stuff we're talking about, last thought, we're going to uh, partake of communion together today in just a moment. You know, uh, it often, when you start to self-reflect, you often have to start using the words, I'm sorry. You know that? When you really start to self-reflect, again, with the, the help of the Holy Spirit, you'll learn to wor say the words, I'm sorry, quite a bit. But do you know there's something about asking for forgiveness of somebody that affects your witness too? You know that? That's a great impact on your witness. So, so for instance, in my marriage, it would be silly for her because of how I treat her at home to know me better than anybody else here, to think I really shouldn't be up here saying the stuff I'm saying. <clears throat> See what I mean? She knows me better than anybody else here. She knows my, my actions, she knows my reactions, she knows my moods, she knows everything about me. To think that those closest to me probably would think maybe because they know me that well that maybe I'm not all that I'm cracked up to be when I'm up here saying this stuff. You know, you know what I'm talking about? That my life, even in my closest relationships, even in the little things, is reflecting, sometimes we think these big picture things we talk about. No, I have to be reflective about this kind of stuff and how I treat my wife and my kids and, and my neighbor and people I just run into generally at a, at a store or, or whatever. It's, it's about everything. We have to let the Holy Spirit lead us to show us. Amen? To really be, to really be changed,
people. That's the calling. All right. Gentlemen, if you, you want to come and bring uh, communion out for me. And while, while, we're, while we're doing this, let me just say this. If you have been in some manner in your life hurt, scarred, uh, things that have happened that, that weren't fair. And to talk about something like living gently in a harsh world. and it, that's, Listen, I want to encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to do a long road work with you. I love to say it's easy button and, and he'll just fix it all overnight, but, but a long road work in you. But you have to let him do it. You've got to let him deal with things. You've got to let him root some stuff out. You've got to let him correct you when that's coming out in the way it shouldn't be. You've got, you've got to be attentive to him. But I believe that he can heal the wrongs of your life. I believe that. And see, uh, it, was, it was said on a Wednesday not long ago, we're going to talk about this with, with purpose. Often the areas that had the, the, the most hurt and deepest wounds in our life are the areas once the Holy Spirit's able to start working with it. Those are the areas that we end up helping people. You see what I mean? God reaps where he doesn't sow. He turns what happened into something for his glory. Because that, that wound and that hurt, that's not the end of the story because God's involved. And God is always writing a new chapter. He's always putting life in front of you. You know that? Always. If, if we're attentive to him, he'll take us there. But, but you have to let him. But I believe he can do that work. Amen. So part of communion today is we're, we'll come down and take it back to our seats. Before we take it, if that is you, commit yourself to the Holy Spirit that he can do the work in you. Because the work of Jesus on the cross makes that possible. Amen? Makes it possible. If you, if you know your attitude is harsh a lot, give it to him. It, matter of fact, you'd be so proactive about it, Lord, today, grow the fruit of gentleness in me. Be, pro, be proactive about it. Pray, literally pray it. Throw it out there every day. Grow gentleness in me. I know I'm not gentle. Grow it in me, Lord. Right? If you know you have trouble living peaceably with people, you, you want to repay wrong for wrong, you want to get them back, Lord, Lord, grow kindness in me. Grow self-control. And you actively pray these kind of things. So I've told you many times when I was coming out of, of, of college, uh, getting into Bible school, I had an anger problem. For a hand, I literally was an angry person just waiting to pop. And I had to pray through the Spirit in my life. Lord, I know I'm supposed to be this way. I know I'm not that way. Help me. Because I want to be that. Amen? Be proactive about it. Okay. You don't have to this morning, but if you'd like to, you come grab the elements. If you come down the middle, please, and, and head out around to your seats. We'll partake of communion together.
Now, if you would, just for a moment to reflect on the things we were talking about today. Or, or maybe in your life you, you need to repent sin. Do so. We'll partake together, okay? But just for a moment, let you have a time with the Lord. thank you for your willingness to suffer in our place on that cross, the crucifixion. Lord, you took our sin and said in 2 Peter, in your body literally carried the weight of the sin of the world. We thank you for that. And we thank you for offering us new life, a life of forgiveness, a new creation, the abundant life in you, life that is shaped by who you are, the Christ-likeness that we are growing into. We thank you for that. And as you taught us to do, that, that we partake of these elements in remembrance of you, that we proclaim your death until you come again. So Lord, this bread that we hold today, representative of your body that was crucified for us, literally flesh and blood, God and God and flesh died on the cross. You paid the wage of sin, that first wage that, that is death, the physical death that sin brings in this world. It wreaks havoc on your wonderful creation. So we partake of this bread together this morning, remembrance of your body crucified on the cross. Let's partake together. And the scriptures paint such a, a beautiful picture of, of what this work does, but connected to the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Book of Hebrews paints so wonderfully the high priest, but also sacrifice. The role that you played in being the final sacrifice, that you are the way to the Father, the perfect way, the only true way. And we thank you so much for the forgiveness of our sins. 
what we could not do on our own, you have covered for us. And I thank you for that. And we partake of this cup together in remembrance of your shed blood. Let's partake together. Now, if you would, just for a moment, just thank him. Just thank him for all that he has done. Thank him for how he has personally done what only he can do to give you what you really need in life. That's him. So we thank you, Lord, and we worship you, and we praise you today. Oh, Jesus, you're so wonderful, so beautiful. We love you. You know that we love you guys, you know that? And we believe in you. All the things that we talked about today, I believe God can do it. Amen. We believe in you, okay? Be blessed as you go today. Love somebody as you go. If you want prayer this morning, we'd love to join in faith with you. Come on down. We'll spend a moment in prayer with you. But be blessed. We'll see you Wednesday night. And have a good, good week. <laughs>